Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. My dad was out there. He watched this guy. When he came home, his sisters would bring a bottle of water and wash his feet. Even though me and my, mine and my dad's relationship was really difficult at the time. At the time. You know, he hadn't hugged me for years at that point. Um, and he wasn't talking to me properly and he didn't really like me. One of the things he knew for a fact was that I would never wash my husband's feet. Hey, are you ready for part two of my super long interview with the glorious Sadia Hamid? If you haven't yet heard part one, it was just a couple of weeks ago when Sadia told us about how social services in the UK actually helped her family to kidnap her when she was 15 and move her to Pakistan, where they starved and tortured her. They suspected her of sleeping with a white man. She later became a spokesperson for the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain, although she is no longer involved with them, instead working with cases of domestic abuse. This second part is very different. She continues talking a little bit about her personal situation and her story and the men who demanded their feet be washed by their wives and sisters. And she speaks beautifully about her long-term partner, Jack, and a woman called Linda who wanted to adopt her as an adult. After the horrors of the previous episode, it's a relief to be able to discuss the lights of her life, the positive sides. We then go on to chat about a lot of different things Having discovered who she is outside of her religious upbringing, Sadia has become worn out by some of the identity politics going on today and speaks passionately about everything from feminism to the trans movement. And she's got some controversial opinions to share, including the notion that Pakistan has a high rate of trans because parents are so scared of having a gay child because of the repercussions in that society. When she criticizes some trans people, I hope it's not lost on any listeners that she first makes an impassioned defense of the majority of trans people who have suffered incalculable harm and need and deserve all our support. Only after making that point does she go on to critique what she perceives to be a faction of people who use their attained victimhood to attack and silence others. As many of you know, I've started uploading bonus content for patrons when the situation calls for it. I can't always guarantee bonus content because some guests are in a rush or just aren't that chatty on the day. But since this was a two-parter, in order to make the runtime, I've included today's bonus content for everyone as a bit of a taster for patron. And the conversation takes a bit of a shocking and enthralling turn with Sadia's takes on pooey water, mint-flavoured enemas, tiny minty balls, a, a barking dog, and weird glasses, and, and also my incredibly small hands. 
It also felt important for me to include that fun and casual side of Sadia because we often have people come and tell their sad stories and it can be a little bit like a cross between inspiration porn and victimhood porn. I mean, either way, it's porn. And Sadia doesn't want to be seen as a victim, but as a well-rounded individual who, who's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy getting to know her as much as I did. I want to remind everyone, as if you didn't know, that when we talk as we do in this episode about such silly things as musical instruments for people with small hands, and such serious things as how to deal with mental health, I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. I'm shooting in the dark. Sadia has, however, worked closely with a lot of survivors of domestic abuse, so has a lot more experience. Remember, you can catch video clips from the interviews on youtube.com slash andrewgold1, as well as shorter video clips on Twitter and Instagram on andrewgold underscore ok. You'll find Sadia on Twitter and Instagram on at Sadia936, and her own YouTube channel is called Four Freedoms, and features lots of interviews about four different types of freedoms. And I might even be on there at some point too. By the way, I want to tell you about a podcast I love. Yes, I'm doing a thing. I'm doing a thing here. Just stay with me, okay? Because it is a really cool podcast. It's a podcast that will help you become more successful, wiser, and maybe even a better drinks party guest. It's a weekly show called Secret Leaders, and I think you'll enjoy it because, like on this show, they interview outliers except they focus on outliers in business. They interview a diverse range of founders from pioneering startups like BrewDog, Deliveroo, Monzo and Joe Malone who reveal the ridiculous things they've done to get where they are, from landing in this country as a refugee with £10 to firing their mum. Secret leaders have enlightening conversations with fascinating business people so you get to hear the stories that made broke and remade the most outlandish entrepreneurs of our time. I really like Secret Leaders and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, come join my chat room uh, Thursday at 8pm UK time. I'm in Germany, so it's 9pm here next Thursday. Last Thursday, we had a really good one. About 15 people turned up and we just chat absolute nonsense. And we chat about the episodes, who's coming up, who who we just had and that kind of thing. So it'd be a pleasure to have some of you there totally free and you don't have to download anything or we well, shouldn't have to. Uh, and you can use an anonymous username if you want. You can just shout stuff at me if you want. So hopefully see some more of you there. Oh, and it will be in my show notes. You can find the link. Anyway, here is Sadia. I, mean, I heard you talk before about when you were out in Pakistan, um, the way the men treated the women, the things that were expected of you. What was happening? Well, you're not really allowed to do anything, to be honest. I mm. kind of started talking about it recently. Um, I mean... The difference in what they're allowed to do and what you're allowed to do is just that you can't even kind of sum it up very quickly, you know? Like, I was told not to laugh, not to show my teeth when I laugh or smile. What? Just, yeah, I I remember my mum saying to me, on the one hand, it was because she thought it was vulgar, but on the other hand, it's considered seductive, right? You're kind of um, uh, peacocking in a way. so if you find something funny, just like a small smile with your mouth closed is sufficient. Um, 
So I remember being taught that kind of stuff. You're not allowed to wear perfume. You're not allowed to dress nice. You're not allowed to wear nice, uh, like you're not allowed to wear tight-fitting clothing. And those are the kind of smaller things, right? And then it gets bigger and bigger. They're allowed to move completely freely. They're allowed to speak. They're allowed to get involved in everything. Um, you know, there's just... The diff even if they've got a harder time in those houses, their lives would be a lot easier than the women and girls in those same mm. houses. I heard your uncle expected you to wash his feet. Yeah, yeah. This, this that was the guy that I was engaged to. So he didn't ex he didn't have the chance to say that to me. What had happened was um, he was um, coming home from work, the guy that I was engaged to, um, mm. and getting his sisters to wash his feet. Um, so uh, I was engaged to my uncle. I, I, um, I kind of missed that bit out. Yeah, how did that happen? So uh, that happened a few years later. I, uh, I My mum had been speaking to this guy that she wanted me to get married to. Um, and I kind of refused to speak to him for a whole year. Um, so what they did was book another ticket to Pakistan again. And this time I was terrified because um, it was a few years after the original kind of incident. Hmm. So you were 19? Yeah, I was I was on the kind of cusp of my 18th night uh, 19th birthday so I can't ever remember if I was 18 or 19 so I can't remember the month. Were you tempted at this point because you knew you were going back to Pakistan were you tempted to fight and scream and run off or again is it just the control and the fear is too much? A little bit at that point. <laughs> I'm not sure I should say this in a podcast actually. Go on. Uh at that point I remember taking uh some ganj with me. Um I'd got <laughs> Oh my god, that's risky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. On the plane? Yeah, so um, I don't know how I got away with it, really. Uh, I emptied a load of fags out. I don't think you would be able to do it today, by the way. Um, I emptied yeah. some fags out and I yeah. had some hats. You should explain for, there are some American listeners who are already very offended about when you said you're not interested in America, who will hear fags and, and oh, understand. Oh, yeah, okay, so cigarettes. Cigarettes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I emptied some cigarette tubes out and then uh, filled it full of hash, right. um, uh, and I took that out. <laughs> I took that out with me. Yeah, that was. Uh, oh my God. That was kind of how I cope. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but it was hard. I couldn't. It was hard to smoke out there. So uh, even that was a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. But um, whilst I was out there, I managed to managed to fend off this one guy. He had told my family that he was my age. Uh, and I was 18, 19 at that time. He must have been about 34, easily 35, something like that. We um, managed to fend him off. And then my granddad's, we were staying at my granddad's brother's house. Um, and his youngest son was a few months younger than me. Um, they wanted to get me hooked up with him. So relationship-wise, he was my uncle. Like uh, my dad's cousin, we would call him uncle. Um and yeah, I, uh, they'd kind of been working on trying to get us engaged uh, or married even. Um, and yeah, my, uh, it, it was the Thursday before we were due to leave. We were going to be leaving on the Saturday, the Thursday before. They basically were just chatting amongst themselves. My dad walked in and was like, oh, so you guys were just going to go out and get a ring and I was going to be stood here looking like a dickhead. Uh, so dad went out and also had to buy an engagement ring and by the end of the thursday we were engaged um yeah so it was a it was a it was an odd time but yeah he um a few months into the engagement um my dad was out there again for a family wedding 
and he 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 watched this guy when he came home his sisters would bring a bowl of water and wash his feet um and even though me and my mine and my dad's relationship was really difficult at the time at the time you know he hadn't hugged me for years at that point um and he wasn't talking to me properly and he didn't really like me one of the things he knew for a fact was that i would never wash my husband's feet like I, it just wouldn't be something that i would do um and he said that to him and then gradually we started trying to break this engagement off and it took a long time um you know I, after about six months i thought I, th- this isn't something that i'm gonna do um uh and it took still another like year year and a half to manage to get them to take the ring back and actually acknowledge that the engagement was over word all all of this treatment how these people treated you and you said before it's because they could it's it's something that's been bothering me i suppose because i think i had a naive imagination of what paternal love is and i think i thought that that was paternal love was something inherent within us and i'm starting to wonder hearing more stories like yours whether that paternal love is actually something we're conditioned by our society to feel like we feel because you, it doesn't feel like there was love or much time for anything like love um, from, from your parents. This is where the cultural stuff comes in, right? Um, and, there, there, and this is where the, you'll find that the overlap between religion and culture is really, really... Um, it, it becomes much clearer. So... Both in the Indian and Pakistani household, there's a there's a kind of expression that women are foreign wealth. Mm. So the, a daughter is never yours. A daughter is always set to become somebody else's property, and that that's exactly what they're talking about, right? Um, like the expression itself talks about women as foreign wealth. Um, so. There, there's almost this incentive to not ever form an attachment with your daughter because she's never yours. Not only that, in some families and communities, she's also going to cost you a lot of money to get rid of, right? The whole dowry issue. So because of that, there is no reason to form an attachment with her because she's yeah. going to go to somebody else's house. She's going to, you know... um, She's going to be the kind of creator and um, kind of uh, baby machine for somebody else's house, not your house. Whereas your son is going to be what helps your family grow, helps your family wealth grow. Um, so it disincentivizes that loving relationship with the with the parents from the beginning. Weirdly, though, I have to say, um, I felt. I, I actually learned what unconditional love was outside of the community I grew up in. I never knew that in the community that I grew up in. Um, I can say that quite comfortably now. Um, I had uh, I moved into this um, block of flats a few years ago. I think it's uh, almost uh, uh, maybe eight, nine years ago, something like that. Um, and... Yeah, I met this uh, lovely woman. Her name's Linda. Um, uh, she's she's older than my mum, and she's always been there, like through 
the you know thick and thin and through all the tough times in my life and the more she's found out about me the more she's kind of um kind of looked after me um and like um a few years ago we were talking and she kind of she's like oh I feel like you're my daughter and I always felt like she was mum um and recently again some stuff happened with family and she was like I think I formally want to adopt you which is very sweet but I'm not sure it's possible to adopt an adult how did it feel to hear that I burst into tears <laughs> um yeah she's she just left she's left you know and before her I'd only ever known um kind of conditional love um if you could call it that I wouldn't even call it love um I'd only known abuse um so it was it was I I kind of learned what love and like maternal love uh what was through her and then also through my relationship I kind of learned what paternalism was right um and not in not like you know my partner isn't my dad but we kind of talked about how we have this really caring relationship with each other where we want to look after each other as well as have our loving intimate relationship right um and i i kind of learned that that paternalism takes all kinds of forms really mm-hmm. um uh, and like i said i kind of learned that outside of my community um and i don't know if it's something that is unique to to the kind of anglosphere and kind of europe or if it's something that is um or if it is something inherent yeah exactly yeah what about now is there anything you miss from the community as do you still speak to your family from then at all what what would happen if you turned up and said hello uh so i don't uh i don't speak to the majority of the family in the community um my dad ha- uh, and me text each other but it's never like conversations videos and we don't really talk about uh about much i have a really good relationship with my brother um uh yeah no i don't really um i don't really engage with them um to start off with i distance myself from everybody for my own safety and well-being um and in then in in the end for safety as well um because when you've grown up in that kind of community you have a choice you either um comply with what they want and you have you then have the whole community behind you yeah. or you choose how you want to live and you lose everything those are the two choices um and it was hard it was really really hard you know being out on my own has been a real struggle um but i wouldn't i wouldn't go back to being part of the commun- that community ever again just because there's the conditions attached aren't fair and and now that i've known unconditional love i don't think i want that kind of you know conditional love and don't get me wrong look any any loving healthy relationship does come with conditions attached you know um sure. jack doesn't want me to smoke um he doesn't want me to take drugs because he doesn't want to see me get unwell um his conditions are healthy conditions right um he doesn't like it if i overwork because then i get poorly all mm. of the conditions that he has to our relationship 
are because he cares. They're conditions to your relationship, but not conditions to his love. Yes, exactly. Because since me and Jack have been together, you know, we've been together for seven years, his political views have changed and my political views have changed quite drastically, actually. And in today's world where people are breaking up with, you know, loved ones and breaking up with like, you know, turning their back on family members for moronic stuff like that. Um, actually, I realize that his conditions are completely healthy and legitimate. Same with Linda, you know, with her came some conditions, but all healthy conditions. And I think this is something that's very difficult. Um, I had a a feminist phase in my life and I wouldn't I don't identify as a feminist anymore um partly because uh, all of these sort of tribes have gone absolutely crazy in the last you know however many years um but but um what I found was what I was looking for was a very individualistic sort of response to my experience, where I'd come from this really, really oppressive, controlling, domineering community, what I wanted was like um, I wanted to I wanted to overindulge on individualism and selfishness, right? Um, however, what I needed instead was to learn what a healthy relationship was and what healthy kind of conditions in relationship are. And that I had to learn for myself. I didn't learn that from anybody else. I learned that from Jack and Linda, for instance, but not from the feminist sphere, not from the community that I grew up in, not from wider society. Because I tell you what, wider society is quite a hostile place. Um, and, uh, you know, the role of parents and family and loved ones is supposed to be to prepare you for that. Um, which I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the world that I was going into. And it, it was, um, it was a really tough place to be on my own, um, particularly by that time, because I was, I was, like I said, I was mad. I was completely insane. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. 
Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. One of the things that people don't realize about England today is there is only one idea now that is openly allowed to be homophobic and misogynistic, and they are, and that's the, 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 the Islamic ideology is absolutely homophobic, absolutely misogynistic, right? Um, however... This modern trans ideology that we see today, which I, I, I mean, I did say earlier that I don't like caveats. <laughs> However, this this caveat is quite important, right? Um, the the historic trans um, movement was part of the wider LGBT kind of um, rights movement, and it wasn't what it is today. Previously, they were fighting for just equality and not to be treated less than human, which is absolutely a noble fight, right? One that everybody can easily get behind and comfortably. Now what they want is special rights. They want priority and they want to bulldoze the rights of other people to be able to come out on top, which nobody can get behind. Because that always creates resentment, right? Just like the 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 kind of modern anti-racists that want to bulldoze the rights of other people so that they can place um, ethnic minorities at the top and and abuse other people, like white people, let's be honest, um, in order to gain their rights. 
that absolutely creates resentment. Understandably, as an ethnic minority, I can absolutely understand the resentment that's going to create. And it's pissing me off because it's disadvantaging me as well as my my white friends and colleagues and peers. And and if 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 I'm no longer certain if I'm getting opportunities because of my ethnic um, uh, like yeah, my my kind of ethnic background. How are my friends and loved ones going to know whether I'm legitimately working at something, or if it's just being handed to me because they need to, you know, check off how many darkies they've got on their books? Um, so there's that. But then it's the same. It's exactly the same principle of what's happening in the trans movement. Now, one of the things I did want to mention is that when it comes to um, the modern trans movement what they what they what they tend to be doing and a lot of movements i understand are doing this now is taking the suffering of members of their community from other parts of the world and claiming that they they experience the exact same suffering here in britain or that um they are institutionally discriminated against in exactly the same way as they are in other parts of the world. And I, for not for one second, am I gonna believe that uh, a trans person here faces what a trans person in Pakistan faces. That would be a lie, right? Now, so what's, what, what's also important in this discussion, often, um, often it's, uh, you know, where these discussions are had in a kind of, international way what they fail to do is take account of the different kind of circumstance circumstances that present internationally right so if we just talk about pakistan for a moment uh, in pakistan a few years ago they had something called a uh, uh, um they had they actually had a pride march however the only people that could march were male to female uh, trans people right nobody else now that's because in pakistan male to female trans uh, people have always had visibility they've been allowed that right they've had they face discrimination and still do however it's complicated right so a few years ago the government of pakistan because people don't want to associate with that with that community they want them to turn up at events and dance they're only allowed to do certain jobs they're allowed to be like cleaners dancers uh, you know rubbish collectors now because they were trying to encourage people to pay their taxes what they did knowing that people don't want to um, be seen to affiliate with that community they gave them the job of tax collectors knowing that if they turn up at their their business people are going to be angry but they're because they're government employees they've got a little bit of protection so you see it was so complicated that situation right um so people around the world are celebrating this this pride movement, uh, this pride event that happened in Pakistan. Now, in Pakistan, homosexuality is punishable. Uh, it's a punishable offence, right? So no lesbian, no gay, no bisexual could go to that that march at all. That would be like openly openly committing suicide, very very publicly, right? So the gays, uh, the gay men out there. Although there is a gay scene underground, provided you don't publicize that you're gay, you're safe, right? 
lesbians almost don't exist because you know women's rights don't don't exist so lesbians of course don't even exist right and then the bisexual issue i think is complicated everywhere um so there's that going on right that the female to male trans community again same category is uh, like a further extension of the lesbian issue don't exist right so the violence that female to male trans individuals in Pakistan face is shocking. I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, my organization that I was working for at the time was due to be marching at Pride. And I'd got sent this, um, I got sent a series of images and uh, somebody had sent me a message saying, this um, woman was uh, male to female trans in Pakistan. Her family found out, they ripped all her nails out, uh, raped her and strangled her to death and killed her. So it just feels yet another case of men being able to transition if they want and men mm. being able to do what they want and still be in charge of stuff as long as they're not gay, as long as they're not women uh, wanting of to course. become men. Yeah. Of course. Wow. Now, the other thing simultaneously going on, um, so uh, take Iran for a second, right? Iran has the highest number of sex changes at the same time, homosexuality is not permitted in Iran. It's, a, it's punishable by death, right? So you've got those two things happening at the same time. Do you think they have the highest number of sex changes because it's a, wonder, a wonderfully LGBT-friendly country or because they don't want a gay child? Hmm. So that's the thing that's going on, right? Wow. Wow, I never knew about that. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, I'm going I'm to put this on as bonus material, I guess. This will be the bonus material for the first episode sure. with it but i don't know if we'll lose the stuff about mints <laughs> you might have to <laughs> um so this is where the overlap starts happening right this kind of trans ideology is working perfectly within islam because it's the perfect solution to openly misogynistic and homophobic individuals yeah. great you've got a, a a gay child get them to transition we hate women, so maybe if we pop a dress on some men, we can uh, we can take down some of the women. Great, because as we know, this modern trans movement is massively misogynistic. Just listen to the way they communicate with some of the women that take issue with what they what they're going on about. Now, I don't have any issue with people that want to transition. In fact, I think they need a lot of love and compassion. Right, um, I need a lot of support. And I don't advocate any kind of harm coming to them. However, for those people that really are, uh, they don't, they're not making any kind of effort to transition. It's really kind of a bit of a fashion trend for them. Um, and it's kind of like a, an outlet for their attention seeking impulses. I don't really have the same level of sympathy or respect. And the fact that the fact that that demographic that has no intention of changing anything about themselves, they just kind of want to want us to um, kind of ride along with their fantasies. Um, I think that they, they, um, I, 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 I lack any respect for them, particularly when they actually attack people that are genuinely feeling like they're in the wrong body, genuinely have gender dysphoria genuinely need to go through that process of transitioning when they attack those people you think 
you actually don't care about this community that you allege to represent, do you? Mm. Because if you did, you wouldn't act like animals towards the people that are genuinely struggling through this process. Yeah, sort of latching on and sort of taking away the victim status. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was watching a, a video of uh, Jordan Peterson, just one of his psychology lectures today. He was talking about victimhood and sort of the, the why you feel tempted to become a victim and how that always precedes awful, terrible things because mm-hmm. the, the Germans saw themselves as victims, the white Germans of Jewish oppression. Uh, the Soviets saw themselves, the Bolsheviks, as victims of uh, the aristocracy's oppression and what followed was, you know, they feel like you can do anything with with no uh, recrimination, you know, that you have righteousness on your side. You can do anything to people. So it, I think what you're saying makes total sense that you have total respect for, for trans, you know, genuine trans people. But there were probably a lot of people latching on. Yeah. People seem to be looking for any excuse to find some form of victim status. And yeah. I understand the temptation because there have been moments in my life where I've had a little bit of that. You know, I'm from a Jewish family and I think, uh, oh, I wonder. And then straight away I go, no, that's ridiculous. Come on, be a bit be a bit stronger. Forget that, you know. Well, the trouble is it's also encouraged, right? I The first time I felt concerned about this was way back in 2012 when I was sat in, there was a... Um, uh, like a, we had an AGM for the domestic abuse service that I was working for actually back then. And I remember a couple of survivors were wheeled out so that mm. they could tell their story. And I remember looking into the audience and every, all these professionals kind of, you know, these kind of wet, pathetic professionals going, oh, yeah, I feel so sorry for you. And I was like, great, you feel sorry for her. But what the hell are you going to do? What are you going to do to change this situation if you think this is an issue, which it is clearly, but how dare you get somebody to come out, tell their story so you can go home and feel good about yourself that you listen to a sob story. What I want Mm. you to do as a professional specifically is tell me what you're going to do to deal with this issue, because actually, you know, it's no uh, it's no kind of um, uh, it's no joke. Domestic homicides have gone up. And things haven't changed, you know, for for every victim that's wheeled out so that we can hear their story or every survivor that's wheeled out so we can hear their story. Yeah, great. You can feel good about yourself, about those stories, but you've changed nothing. In all this Mm. time that you've been doing this domestic abuse work, domestic homicides have gone up from two a week to three a week. So rather than wanking over sob stories, why don't you tell me exactly what you're going to do, what new approaches you're going to use, how you're getting that information into the main, uh, rather than just professionals getting together so you can have a day out of the office, listen to a sob story, and then go home and feel good about yourself just because you listen to one uh, one or two sob stories. Very self-congratulatory. Exactly. It's not It's not productive. My, mm. my, my kind of response to survivor stories now, and I don't mean this in a heartless way at all, because it's not the fault of the survivors. Generally, organizations intentionally are going out and getting survivors and victims so they can make it look like they're doing something good when actually mm. they've, they've not done anything. They've just brought a survivor in. That survivor or that victim is going to go home feeling like shit because of the, that organization or that professional. I could tell you that categorically. So yeah. they do that. But my instinct every time now is what are the what are the concrete things that you are doing or that you want us to do to change things? Because these stories, they're just awful stories. And they're there in abundance. There's so many of them. Um, 
And listening to these stories actually does nothing. Finding a genuine solution is what you should be doing. But it, you're right, there is, it's very, very comfortable to wallow in victimhood. And I can say that because I did it for years. I felt really sorry for myself after mm, everything. And you have every right. But I don't want to. That's the last thing I want to do. I, I never, ever want to just be what happened in my past. Honestly, like when I think about it, I've made it so distant for myself and not not in a way of kind of minimizing what happened to me. Not not in that way at all. I, I've been through therapy. I've had my mad phase. I, you know, done the meds. I've got the badge, got the T-shirt, all of that kind of stuff. But what I don't want is just to wallow in that. That's very comfortable. And there's going to be a lot of organizations and activists that want me to wallow in that so that they can mm. pop me on a stage and go, look, Paul Sardia, that doesn't do anything. What I want to do is turn to them and go, okay, what are you doing? How are you going to improve things? Because these issues are still going on. And if you're not going to do anything, kindly fuck off so I can speak to somebody who is going to do something. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. That's, that's beautifully said. Beautifully said. <laughs> I, no, I agree with you. Victimhood, it's like, a, it's like a nice warm bath. And I'm aware that you sound, one sounds very conservative when you say, uh, come on, pull your socks up, get together. And I used to think, it's so funny how you change and you say you've changed as well. I also changed, you know, when I was 20 or 19, I probably would have, whenever you heard that kind of thing from a from older person, like sometimes you just got to get on with it. My ears pricked up and I thought, that's a conservative person saying that. What a conservative thing to say. And as you get older, you actually experience the real world. You're not just in theory, in academia, at school, in university, or whatever it might be. You're actually in the real world. You've actually tried to get jobs and things. You actually do see some people who wallow. And, you, and yeah. there's so many people giving that sort of advice, which doesn't seem to be good advice of just like, oh, you're wallowing, are you? Like you say, yeah. let us let us showcase that to a larger audience of people and professionals who will do nothing about it. Part of it is because the professional sector is full of middle class people who can go home back to mummy and daddy and go, I had a bad day. I heard this story and I'm sad. Let's watch a movie and eat some popcorn. But I tell you what, when I used to go back home, sometimes I had no gas no, and had no electric had no food in the drawer. I was completely on my own and going mad. But thankfully, when I was at my maddest stage, nobody nobody had popped me on a stage. That wasn't the trend in the main at, at that time. It was starting to happen, but I was saved from that, right? Um, but now where it's happening more and more, what the, the reason they can do that is because they've got someone, to, the professionals have got someone to go home and chat to oh, how are you going to kind of look after yourself? I don't care about that. Y yes, you hear some awful stories, but unless you're being pro proactive and productive in changing the issue on the whole, I actually don't care how you're feeling. Um, you know, it's, um, it, it's, um, it's, all about, it's all about them and their kind of feelings, and I'm just not interested in that really. Right, we better we better pack it up. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about how I'm going to do this because is it a bonus? Is it a second episode? <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. So, if you're thinking that was a bit short, you'd be right. But we've got a whole big extra bit coming up now. Remember, this bit is typically just for patrons, but I hope they don't mind me sharing this just once with the rest of you. This is actually from the very, very beginning of our conversation. So back before even part one begun. So that's why you hear us saying hello now. And we talked about things that had little to do with Sadia's story. Stick around afterwards because I got some really gorgeous and beautiful reviews this week that I'd like to share with you.
Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am good. I'm just, yeah, that is recording and my QuickTime's recording. I'm recording everything. We're all, everything's recorded. Don't say anything stupid. <laughs> okay, fair enough. How are you? How, uh, how are you getting on? You said you were kind of feeling a bit burnt out. Yeah, it's just nonstop, you know, because it's like, my girlfriend's gone away for a few weeks. You know, when you've just got like, right, I've got three weeks. I need to like catch up on everything. I'm going to sort everything out. Um, so just like, yeah, everything. Yeah, I get it. Like, I love Jack, but if he has to, like the nights apart, I actually get loads done. Um, yeah, so it really helps. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people, as you get older, a lot of people do just sort of have those kinds of relationships. I know loads of people who like, I had a, a friend of mine, actually, uh, him and his girlfriend, they do this thing where like one goes away for a month and then like when they come back, the other one goes away. They sort of time it that way. And they never, I never like really pushed too much about why that is, but I guess they just love being apart. I don't know if I'd want to be apart for like massively long times, like a weekend or a week is kind of okay. When we, if we have too long apart, it sort of starts chipping away a little bit as well. We kind of like, it's kind of difficult I guess it's different because we don't live together yet um I think when we live together it'll be quite different how long you been together uh seven years seven years next month yeah we've been about that nearly that long as well kind of boundaries between home and work sort of start blurring when you do so much from home we've kind of got our own little routines now he does his thing at a certain time and I do my thing at a certain time um but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's much much harder when you're when you're working from home. Yeah, um, that's what it is. I was always available for everyone, and now I'm not available for anyone, and everyone's really used to it. So like my family, everyone's just like expecting to call and talk whenever, and I'm like, I've I got to do this. So I'm a bit stressed about that. I've grown a beard to reflect that. Have you noticed? <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, my angst. <laughs> but you know, life's fine. How are you doing? What's going on? I've got some of those, um, you know, those anti-blue light glasses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been trying to like uh, block out some of the bluey light, see if yeah. it helps. They've just yeah. arrived today. Something that's what for screens and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like um, if you if you use quite a lot of screens, um, like you can you can put them on like a few hours before bed, and it get sets like it kind of. Your mind sort of thinks, okay, there's no there's no artificial light around anymore and starts ready to go to sleep. It kind of brings your like um sleeping back pattern back to normal apparently. Let's see, I don't know. Mm. Uh, we had we had a guy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago called Dr. Stuart Faramond, and he just wrote a book about like how to have the perfect day. And it's a lot of stuff like eat it's like a coffee book, basically, a coffee table book. So it's like a big book and you open it and each page is like a different question. And one of them is like, should I look at my phone before bed? and uh, what's the ideal amount of time to sleep and stuff like that so that was really interesting he thinks that that the blue light thing is a little bit exaggerated although it does have an effect so it's good you've got the glasses and stuff but he thinks that the brain is far too complex to be tricked into thinking it's daytime when it's not interesting yeah i'm sure there's a lot of a lot of fads and stuff out there i'm reading at the minute yeah. um have you um heard of a book called bad science yeah yeah gold acre was it yeah 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 it's one of the funniest books I've ever read, but it's really good. It's really yeah. good. It talks about like, kind of like um, bullshit diets and yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's, um, 
laying it to some nutritionists and stuff at the moment. I'm looking forward to, um, I don't know if this is a good thing to say on, on here, but like a, a friend who uh, does enemas. And I love my, I love the friend, but um, he's he's got a chapter on enemas. <laughs> so I'm keen to see what he says about them, really. Cause now That's that funny. she set that business up, a couple of other friends have been like, oh, this is great. You know, it's the best thing I ever did. And obviously, yeah, no. like, they've got a... Yeah, yeah. That's got to be psychological. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like the... I, I don't like the idea of somebody seeing, like, my pooey water coming out my backside. No. friend, right? That sounds really gross. Well, yes, if you went to her specific place, it would be a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, it would be gross. Yeah, I can't... Yeah. Why does she want to see your pooey water? No. <laughs> well, why does anybody want to see any pooey water? Why does anybody get into, like, you know, giving people enemas and stuff? Probably, I, like, don't, I think the... enemas must be. I, I have no idea. And I don't know if I'll include this bit. <laughs> but no, maybe. Maybe the bonus probably chat. Not. You know what? I started putting in a bit of bonus chat for patrons. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only like 20 people. They might be really interested in pooey enema discussion. Pooey water. That's really rank. Have you heard, yeah. like, um, you heard that you can have like coffee enemas as well. So I suppose it will someone shoving coffee up your bum hole and and you get gooey coffee coming out your backside. How rank is that? Mint flavor. Oh, that'd be horrible. Have you ever used that mint shower gel? Yeah, I think I'd really like that. I think if I had oh. one enema, it'd be a mint enema. Oh, rank! That's so rank. <laughs> yeah, but it's all right for you guys. Like mint on your testicles, I'm sure is great. Mint it's on right, your yeah. food. Probably not as nice, right? <laughs> mm. Min on your what? What did you say? Cut out. Uh, on your vagina. Probably oh. not the nicest thing, right? <laughs> yeah. What word did you say? Because it cut out and I know it wasn't vagina. No, it was foof. <laughs> My foof and your foof. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, I think that's also psychological, the mint thing. Because I've got like this nose spray I use. And when you spray it up, uh, it also has like this mint thing and it's too much for my girlfriend. She was like, start sneezing like a maniac. Uh, oh, but for yeah. me, it's like, I'm enjoying the, I'm like, yeah, it's pain. It's almost like spicy food. It's like, it's, I'm enjoying the pain of this. Mm, yeah. See, I quite like like minty stuff, but there is a threshold. I got these like little, they're like tiny mint balls mm. and, and they've got like mint oil in them. And um, they're too strong. Ah. Like they blow my head away whenever I've had one. Um, I could show you one. Do you want to have a, do you want to see what, what it looks ball? like? I feel like I have to be polite and say I want to see what the mint ball looks like. <laughs> what is, is it? it? I sh- I'll show you. I'll show you. One right. Quite excited. I don't think anybody's actually really going to be interested in it. I mean, they're tiny. Look at that. Can you oh, see how? Tiny oh, it really is small. What? Hang on. So, what do they do? So they're just they're just minty balls. You you have one and it kind of blows your head away. I guess it's just supposed to be like a mint. I got them a few years ago from somewhere in London, and I've never seen them again. So I'm, I'm prob- yeah. prob- probably going to offer them to people when I want to shut them up in the future. You know, if yeah. uh, I have a friend around that like is uh, is slightly annoying or something, mm. maybe I'll maybe I'll be like, hey, do you want a mint? Because you just don't want to open your mouth. Like air feels yeah. like a lot colder after having it. It's really weird. Yeah. I can't. You had those in a little like... test tube. They're so small for people listening because I am going to put this as bonus content now, I've decided. And also because <laughs> I've just started doing that, 
the bonus content will be free the first week. So your stuff can go out to 15,000 people about the mint and enemas and stuff. Whereas the next bonus stuff will be just bonus. But I'll put it at the end though, because we'll probably get into some quite deep stuff and it'd be weird to start with. Oh no, no, it's even weirder to get into deep stuff and then go on about enemas, speaking of deep (laughs) stuff. But... The the mini things they were like something out of Men in Black or something you know you could, they I were know. really small they're like in a test tube they're tiny like it's it, I mean I've got really freakishly small hands and they're mm, smaller too. than my little pinky so they, yeah. I mean it, it's tiny but they mm. really I, I mean I've never had mints so strong they're stronger than you know those is it triple X mints I I don't know I take I use um I like Airwaves and I get extra strong Airwaves yeah so they're stronger than that. Um, I need I need yeah. some of that in my life. <laughs> let's see how small your hands are. I want to see how small your hands are. Come on, let's do our hands because mine's tiny. But it's I suppose we can't really do the perspective. I don't think you get the kind of context. Well, yeah, I don't think you kind of get. Yeah, uh, I got. T- I'm really tall and I have tiny hands. I look quite strange. I've sort of almost <laughs> almost can't balance. You know, it's a weird little. That's hilarious. Yeah, I've got like uh, freakishly small hands, but freakishly. Uh, small feet as well but I'm a small person too so it kind of I'm in proportion um right you're lucky yeah yeah I've got a um I used to have a friend that used to get weirded out by my feet she was like how do you not fall over with with your feet just stumps yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) man I do worry about having small hands just because of and, and not because of the thing you're secretly thinking which is very very immature but but because of (laughs) <laughs> you're having a fit there because I knew I you were thinking, thinking it <laughs> I was thinking that <laughs> I don't think there's any link between hands and that kind of thing um, feet and that feet are very t- big I've got tall feet I've got very tall feet <laughs> enormous feet enormous feet don't worry about it enormous feet <laughs> I thought it was feet and that so you haven't got to worry uh, enormous feet tiny hands yeah. But what I do worry about, actually, because I do want to at some point get hold of a piano when I become wealthy enough to, to have a, a house large enough to have a keyboard or piano in it and then yeah. to become a really good pianist. Uh, and it's I don't get it because you do get little girls and little boys who are like piano geniuses, don't you? But if you've got small hands, it definitely has an effect because I don't know if you do play any instruments, you can't. I tr- I tried the piano for a little while. Uh, I mm. had like a massive keyboard in the house, but there was it had one key that didn't work. Um, so um, like I practiced a little bit on it. The piano I didn't find too bad. I found the guitar a little bit harder um, because you've kind of got to. There's just you've got to, you've, your fingers need a bit more kind of. Um, I just needed a little bit extra extra on my mm. fingers to be able to kind of move it in the right places and quicken yeah. up and stuff. I, yeah. is, there are chords on the guitar because I play guitar and there are literally chords that you, you just need to have longer fingers for you just do right nobody tells you that when you get a guitar <laughs> can you get guitars for people with little hands <laughs> <laughs> if we could you and I would be you know buying loads of them but uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think or they must yeah I, I suppose children must must have that I don't know I don't want to have a children's guitar though I don't want to have to play guitar with a children's guitar I want to have an adult guitar and I can I can do it I can I'm fine with it but yeah piano because there are again there are chords they're usually like the sevenths and the ninths or whatever they are where you really have to uh-huh. move like your little finger over really far yeah and yeah I but like I say children can do it so I've got yeah, no excuse yeah. 
with with the piano I mean it was quite a long time ago where I tried like I practiced a little bit they kind of teach you how to move your fingers so that they're they're kind of going underneath and doing mm. like they kind of show you how to move your fingers as well if you get a, a good teacher so huh. um yeah it didn't seem as much of a struggle as the guitar did hmm. I'll, I'll let you know once I get one I'll start posting songs on Twitter of me singing Robbie <laughs> Williams or something <laughs> I sincerely hope you enjoyed the episode. I know the pooey water won't have been to everyone's taste, but it was a pleasure to speak to Sadia and to learn a bit more about the happier parts of her life, from her partner Jack and her almost adopted mother Linda, to her super strong tiny mints and her thoughts on enemas. I'd love to have her back again sometime. Thank you once again for tuning in. The podcast has been growing really fast. And thank you for my birthday messages as well last week. Before I forget, it was really, really lovely to get so many messages. Remember, it's never too late. Get me on, you know, Twitter and Instagram, Andrew Gold underscore OK. Sadia is at Sadia936. Also, I have a 10% off birthday discount on patreon.com slash andrewgold for the bonus content, you know, most weeks and early access and ads-free podcasts. This will last until the 1st of April. Thanks so much to this week's newest Patreon members, the wonderful Kath Glover and also the lovely Dr. Stuart Faramond, who came on the show. So please remember to check out his amazing episode about his book, The Science of Living. You can buy that on Amazon and all the usual places. And it's now a Sunday Times bestseller, and deservedly so. Thank you, everybody else, for the beautiful reviews you've been leaving. This week, there have been a few really, really nice things, like really well thought out, and I, I love it. And I show it to Hawley, my girlfriend, and then I've posted them online as well on Instagram and stuff. For example, Brave underscore Rage 101 in the US left five stars on Apple and wrote, Authenticity abounds chicken or the egg unsure whether it's andrew's capacity to show vulnerability which attracts rad guests with equally amazing attitudes or whether andrew's goofy thoughtful curious vibe is what coaxes the guests into speaking as comfortably as they'd be if chatting in your living room albeit about really tough important stuff 80 percent of the episodes are the best ever anywhere hands down Plus, ads are only beginning, middle, and end. If we all Patreon a buck or shilling or rupee, maybe we won't get ads. Brackets like Sam Harris pod. Just saying. Thank you for that brave rage. That's such a beautiful review. I love... I'm taking Goofy as a compliment. I think that's... I don't know if that's on purpose or not. I'm just sort of talking and, you know... But, yeah, ads... I am introducing ads, you know. That's... What can you do, you know? It is... And they're beginning, but then there's two in the middle. But what I might start doing is putting two in the middle at the same time instead of separate times. I'm thinking about how to do all this. You know, it's so complicated. And if you do put in a couple of bucks on Patreon, you do get the ads-free uh, one. Obviously, Sam Harris, has I think he has like a pay-as-you-want or whatever situation. But then he's just like, you know, he's getting like millions of listeners. Um, but yeah, thank you. What a thoughtful review. And then another really thoughtful review... Right, this time from another country. This is Australia. Matt Resso or Matt Resso, it's just one long word in the review, left a five star Apple review saying, I have a handful, I'll have a handful. No, 
Australia, Australia, of a handful of podcasts that I've followed. I'm not doing it. I have a handful of podcasts that I have followed for some time and religiously listened to. I try many others, but the large majority soon fall by the wayside. I'm not even sure how I stumbled on Andrew's podcast, but it was relatively recent. After a few episodes, I'm hooked completely. Andrew's interviewing technique, while quite laid back, is very skilled indeed. His gentle nature peels open his guests like ripe oranges. They're quickly at ease and the conversation flows. The podcast lengths are perfect, long enough to drag you in and educate you, yet short enough to consume before bed or on the way to work. Brackets, I have a decent commute. I'm devouring the episodes at a ridiculous rate, and in a few weeks I'll be sitting, waiting for each new episode. I really must subscribe and get the patrons content and make the wait less of a strain. The only issue is, Sam Harris, Tim Ferriss, Dax Shepard and Joe Rogan are getting a lot less of my attention these days. Again, that's a beautiful, beautiful review. Thanks, Matt, so much. It's so lovely to read that. Ironically, I actually find oranges, peeling oranges, that is, such a turn-off in the whole, you know, the whole process. It's such a whole thing that I, I rarely eat an orange. And that's without even taking into account the acidity of the oranges, because I get acid reflux, not, not like a crazy amount, nothing that will you know, leave me in hospital or anything like that. But I get it. And I'm, you know, I, what we have in the in the UK and Europe, anti-acid, like it's basically eating chalk. I'm like munching on these little chalk squares all day. Um, I would avoid oranges typically, um, even if they were easy to open, but, but peeling them is actually, I, I find very, very difficult. But thank you for the review. And then Carmen Freebury left a CastBox review. That's a podcast platform called CastBox. Many of you know it, of course. Um, and it's my first ever review on that app. And Carmen wrote, brilliant podcast, love his voice, charisma and subject matter. I enjoy listening to Louis Theroux and John Ronson type of journalism. Andrew has been the perfect follow on. Look forward to it every week to listen to while I'm running. Well, I hope you keep on running because I'm you're doing it for both of us at the moment because I'm sat in my house all day. I don't move. Um, but that's good. I'm proud of you. And thank you for the beautiful review, of course. Lastly, but not leastly, is Lily underscore O left five stars on Apple. And she wrote, great podcast. Really enjoy listening to Andrew. I love the guests he has on and that they always make me think more about the issues discussed. And I think she hits the nail on the head there because it is the guests who would, you know, I like to just, my, my ideal episodes, I hardly say anything, you know, and I just sit there and listen to these people who leave me floored. Um, not flawed, fl- flawed. What's the pronunciation difference between one that is like the floor of the under, you know, the opposite of the ceiling, and that leaves you flawed, like you're on the floor because you're so amazed by the guests. And then obviously, F L A W has a completely different meaning. I don't know if there's any pronunciation difference, at least not with my accent. Um, but these were some lovely, well thought out and beautifully written reviews, and they absolutely made my day. I've started sharing some on social media too. Even if it is a bit show-offy, and I'm aware that this, you know, I'm talking very show-offy as well, but I just want to share the whole community thing. I don't know how else to do it. Um, but who knows, you know, these reviews might bring in new listeners as well. So please do keep leaving them. It helps the podcast to grow. Now, next week, we'll be hearing from journalist Cara McGugan about her investigation and the podcast Bed of Lies, which I've just listened to and couldn't believe it. 
Basically, it follows the true story of undercover police agents who infiltrated animal rights activists and other sort of almost harmless leftist hippie people in, in the 80s, 90s and 2000s and got into relationships with the women without ever revealing their true undercover agent identities. So children were even born from these fake relationships. And then the police officers one day just upped and disappeared when their jobs were done. Um, and it's absolutely devastating for the women involved. And an, an enormous abuse of trust. Just enormous abuse of trust from the people that we are supposed to trust. And obviously the police in the UK and in the US are under a lot of scrutiny right now. Obviously this is a historic, more of a historic story, but it's, you know parts are still going on today. And Cara will explain more in detail. Uh, but also have a listen to Bed of Lies, you know, a couple of episodes. They're quite short anyway, um, and you might really, really enjoy it. And then it will make next week's podcast more relevant. But you don't have, you know, you're, she'll tell the story anyway. And yeah, have a lovely week, all of you. And I'll I'll see you then. Hopefully, you know, things will start to look up with the whole lockdown nonsense and sp- spring coming and everything. I don't know. Hopefully. Yeah, see you then, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.